Our scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning, church. It is indeed a joy to be together, and we're starting a brand new sermon series today in the book of Philippians. As you've taken note, you've seen it in the bulletin, we had our scripture reading We are going to take our time with this one. Uh, We're going to spend nine weeks, and some of you are like, wow, nine weeks. Is that going to get old? No, it's not. It's a book about joy. But we're going to spend nine weeks uh, taking our time and walking through this letter, this book of Philippians. We're going to be encouraged through this study to press on in our faith and to live with contagious joy. And so really my goal for this series, as we study the book of Philippians, is going to be to help us discover the joy of following and serving Christ, the contagious joy of following and serving Jesus. So why the book of Philippians right now? This is a a letter that was written to a group of Christian believers a long time ago in a place very different from where we are here in the U.S. Because it's a message for today. (laughs) Because it, it, it is a message that we need to hear desperately. So yes, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul and was written to the church, to the believers in Philippi. And it was a group of people whom he loved. He talks about them in, in Philippians 4 and verse 1 as his joy and crown. That's his affection in his heart for this group of believer. And so he, he is commending the Philippians for their generosity and for their loyalty. But he's also addressing some problems in the church. Some things that, again, I believe are a message for us today. Right here in the U.S. in the year 2022. He reminds the church that they are at risk of losing their joy. If there's something we need, if there's something our world needs, it's joy. Are we at risk of losing our joy? Oh, that couldn't be. That couldn't possibly happen to us. It's not as if political debates (laughs) uh, steal our joy. Or watching the, the newscast or reading the headlines and seeing about violence and crime. The economic... Uh, inflation and situation couldn't possibly steal our joy, could it? (laughs) News of monkeypox or hurricanes. Just talk to anybody. They're stressed out. They're freaked out. They're struggling with, with life and fear and the unknown and anxiety. I heard about one guy who was so worried, it was debilitating, and he went to see a psychiatrist. Well, the psychiatrist has good news and goes, I have just the solution for you. You've been struggling with worry. It's been debilitating. Well, this is a new plan. It's experimental, but I think it's going to be perfectly suited for you. And it is getting a professional worrier. (laughs) He says, you you hire this guy and he does all the worrying for you. So you don't have to worry. He is the one doing the worrying. So 
The guy gives it a try. He says, fine, okay, I'm going to take the advice of the doctor, this treatment plan that sounds very unconventional, but I'm going to have a professional worry. So he does this for a few months, and it actually seems to be working. And he runs into a friend one day, and the friend has kind of noticed the change in his life. And so he tells his friend what he's doing. He goes, you'll never believe it, but I actually hired a professional worrier. And the friend's like, that's amazing. You know, you have been like totally chill recently. <laughs> you've not been stressed out. You've not been uh, obsessing about everything. You seem like you've got everything under control. You're not flustered and worried like you used to be. But I'm wondering, like, how much does something like that cost? So he's a little sheepish about that. It's a personal question, but he goes, well, uh, the guy charges me $3,000 each month. <laughs> His friend is like, $3,000 each and every month? Like, how can you possibly afford that? And he says, I don't know. Uh, that's his problem. <laughs> we worry. I don't know if I'm recommending a professional worrier because that ultimately is going to be his problem. But we worry. We, we get stressed out. We need joy. This book of Philippians is for today. This message is for today. And lots of things can steal our joy. People can steal our joy. Those that are really difficult, those that make your life hard, are antagonistic that you don't get along well with. Circumstances can steal our joy. Those things that happen that you just didn't see coming. Those hardships and struggles. One of the worst joy stealers, probably the worst, is worry that I mentioned already. It's, it's worry. It is struggling to find the joy and hope in life because you just see all of the bad and all of the negative and all of the what-could-be's. And so you are going to see, over these next nine weeks, as we study this book of Philippians, that Paul so very often addresses the mind. He so very often talks about your thoughts and your mind, your attitude, and he uses words like remember, thinking in our internal life and the things that then flow from our minds. So we don't have joy so often. Why? Because of the things that are happening in our life. Nine times out of ten, when we don't have joy, it is the people that have been hard, the circumstances that have been challenging, the worry that creeps in because of our world and our, and our story and our situation. We allow those things to steal our joy. But I want, to hear, I want you to hear this right up front at the beginning of this great sermon series, this great study in the book of Philippians, that we have joy because of Christ. I even got a couple of amens on that. So, so this is the truth of God's word. That we have joy because of Christ. And, and Christ can't be taken from us. That can't, that can't be stolen from us because he is with us in a way that is persistent and faithful. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, he says. And so we have joy because of Christ and because of his enduring presence in our lives. Not because of circumstances. In fact, I'll say it this way. We have joy despite our circumstances. And so, when we study this, this book, the, these, these 
words of the Apostle Paul to this church who was dearly loved, who gave him great joy, we're going to see this theme. Joy, rejoice, it's used 14 times according to my count. But did you know it was a letter that was written from prison? 14 times he complained, no. 14 times he griped, no. 14 times he cursed God because he had been faithful to the Lord and this is his reward, no. 14 times he says, rejoice and I have great joy. Why? Because we have joy in Christ and Christ can't be taken away from us. That is the truth of God's word. And so I'm praying that the Lord uses this study to draw us into a life of joy. Not because of our circumstances, but despite our circumstances. We can have joy no matter what our surroundings. And here's another great thing about joy. It's contagious. It, 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 sometimes even in the simple things. I brought a video that I want to share this morning. And it's a, it's a baby. And it's not, it's, uh, the, the mother doesn't have English. So th- this is a video that displays joy but supersedes tra- uh, uh, language. And the baby who babbles in response to the mother. Check this out. Why does that just make us smile and laugh? Because joy is contagious. Because even though we, we didn't understand whether she was speaking Italian, we didn't understand what the mother was saying. The baby doesn't speak yet. It's just babbling. But what a joy. So, so our joy is also contagious. That our lives in Christ, when we have that great joy in the Lord, produces spiritual fruit. In fact, that's the language Paul uses. So if you brought your Bible with you today, and I hope you did, please open it to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to look together at the first 11 verses. But if we take a sneak peek there at verse 11, we see the influence we have on those around us, where, where Paul says that the believer is filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What witness is it when a Christian believer is sour and dour and grumpy and discontent? Not sure I would want to follow their God. Not sure I would want the salvation that they proclaim because it must not be that good. It must not be that important. What witness is it when followers of Jesus don't have joy? And here's the truth of scripture. This is not me being Pollyanna saying be happy all the time. So I don't want you to hear that. When you're connected to Jesus, who is the source of life and health, And goodness, all good things come from our Heavenly Father above. When you're connected to him, you have joy. Paul was in chains. He had lots to complain about. His circumstances were less than desirable. He had more darkness than many believers walking around in the sunshine. And what was his response? It was joy. 
And so here's what I want to do this morning as we look at uh, the first part of Philippians chapter 1 and kind of kick off this study in this book. I want to share three ways to increase your joy that come from these verses. Three ways to increase your joy. And the first is with the support of friends. And so uh, you've heard this preached before, you know this to be true, that our faith is to be lived out in community, in relationship alongside others. And so we see that in Paul's relationship with these Philippians. They were a partner in the gospel. So Paul says then in verse, let's go to verse four and five, Philippians chapter one, that in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray how? With joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul has joy. He prays with joy. Why? Because he had the support of friends. Because of the partnership of these like-minded believers who were on mission together. So just as we are connected to Christ and our life stems from him as this vital source, so too we are connected one to another. We're really incomplete on our own. We are merely a part of, a part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, scripture teaches. Jesus is the head. And we're the hands and the feet and the eyes and the nose and the elbows. And, you know, some of us act like the rear end sometimes. (laughs) But we are a part of the body of Christ. I just kind of slipped that in there. Some of you didn't even catch that. We are a a part of the body of Christ. We are incomplete on our own. And so here's here's what's particularly striking about this uh, dynamic happening between Paul and the Philippians. If we do a, a little bit of digging and context and historical understanding is that Paul was this very capable and he was very educated and he was very resourceful leader. And he already had a network of support. It's not as if Paul's only leg to stand on was the church at Philippi. He already had a network of support. In his letter to the Thessalonians, he says he didn't so much as eat a meal that he didn't pay for when he was with them. So he's the authority. He's the church planter. And yet even there, what does he recognize? He can't do it alone. And so he's not just paying lip service to this church family. He is truly, genuinely, authentically saying, we are connected. We are partners in the gospel. I can't do all of what I'm doing without you and without your support. And I long to see you flourishing and thriving and growing and reaching more people. So we all need encouragement and at times correction and admonishment. We all need advice. We all need prayer. Every single one of us, no matter what part they play. So Paul says in verse 4, we're in Philippians chapter 1, that he prays for his friends in Philippi. He prays for them. Guys, this is just a great way to support one another, to partner with others. You pray with and you pray for one another. And, And you let one another know, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, how, you, you, you inquire, how can I be praying for you? By the way, our prayer team would love to pray for you. Would you send me a message and let me know what is your prayer request? And we will spend time this week before the face of God, lifting you up in prayer, interceding, the things that are on your heart, the things that you're walking through. We would love to serve you in that way. Our elders pray for you. 
Our staff prays for you. And we would ask you to pray for us. We, we, would, we would desire your prayer support as well. Because when you begin to partner together in prayer, you begin to celebrate together the ways that God is working in your life. The good things that God is doing. In fact, another invitation is after the service this morning, as we, as we dismiss and conclude, come and join together. We will have a time of prayer together here in the front. Our prayer team will come. You are welcome to come. Bear burdens one with another. So you're invited to come. Come and pray just after the service. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. And we see that when we partner together and when we specifically even pray for others, we celebrate the good things that God is doing in our life. So in in verse 6, Paul says this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you're partnering together, when you have the support of friends, you're able to look for those ways that God is working. You're able to celebrate those things. What a great way to bond with a fellow believer in Christ. What a great way, praying for one another, partnering together. We are partners. We are co-laborers. We are on mission together. We have a laser focus. And what is that? It is to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. And we're doing that together. We see great affection, as I mentioned, in the book of Philippians. Like in verse 7, then, when Paul says, I have you in my heart. Or in verse 8, where he says, I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. There's a reason that I point those out. Show me someone who's living a joyful and fruitful life for Christ. And I'll show you a person who is deeply invested and connected with other like-minded believers. On mission together for the cause of the kingdom. So how do we increase our joy with the support of friends? Another way that we increase our joy is to commit yourself in service to others. Now this might seem counterintuitive. <laughs> like, well... Isn't joy when other people serve you and just like wait on you and help you? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That the joyful life is not one that places you, that places self at the center. Instead, the joyful life is actually when we extend ourselves on behalf of others. That's when we find great joy as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So let's look together at verse 9. Where Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He prays that their love would abound. This, of course, is the hallmark of our faith, our love for one another. Why would the unbelieving world have any interest in the church? Why would those living in darkness have any inkling that they would want to be in fellowship with people who follow Jesus? In John 13, 35, Jesus says it really clearly and plainly. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. It's in the family of God. It's in the fellowship of the saints where love abounds. And part of that is what then draws and attracts the unbelieving world to say, no one loves me like that. No one cares for me like that. I want to check out this Jesus because his people are extraordinary. 
So service to others is a way to increase your joy. And uh, maybe you've heard it since you were a little child. I know I have, but I love the acronym for joy, which is Jesus, others, you. Joy. Jesus first, others, and then you. So 1 John 3.18 implores us to love one another with actions. Saying, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You will increase your joy if you grow in service to others. Isn't it interesting, though, there, in verse 9, as we saw, that Paul specifically mentions abounding in love, but he, he mentions growing in knowledge and depth of insight. And so, really, that's kind of our third characteristic of the joyful life, which is spiritual growth. Want to increase your joy? Get closer to Jesus. Want to increase your joy? Pursue him with everything in you. And so, let me just ask you this difficult question this very personal question this morning are you growing spiritually are you stronger in your faith with a deeper relationship with god through his son jesus your knowledge and depth of insight wisdom which is knowledge applied to your life Is it stronger today than it was a year ago or five years ago? Where will you be next month? And in the new year of 23 that's just knocking at the door, are you growing spiritually? For those of you that are married, in order to get an accurate answer, I'm going to ask your spouse. (laughs) Because that's what truly reveals if you're growing spiritually. Are you producing fruit? And maybe you're single, maybe you're not married, it's your, it's your family, it's your friends, it's those closest to you that can see, are you producing fruit? Do you walk in the joy of the Lord despite your circumstances? Or are you the kind of person who, I'm going to have a really crummy week, I'm going to have a really crummy month, really crummy season, really crummy year, really bad childhood, horrible life, why? Because of my circumstances because of the bad things that have happened in me and around me and through me and to me. Are you growing spiritually? God wants to grow you. He wants you to be an even more mature, rooted, strong Christian believer, man or woman who's following after Christ. And so he makes you to become even more into the likeness of his son, Jesus where you begin to think like Christ and talk like Christ and act like Christ. He changes us. (laughs) Simply put, he changes us. And it's wonderful. And in those changes and in that spiritual growth, you know who gets the glory? God does. We don't don't look at the individual and say, wow, you're a really amazing person. I can see that you've really uh, stretched yourself and grown yourself. No, it's I can see Christ working in your life. Glory to God. So in verse 10, we're in Philippians chapter 1, we're told to discern what is best. Discern what is best. That is a challenge for each and every one of us, isn't it? How will we use our time? How will we use our influence? How will we use our resources? 
as we grow spiritually, the Lord helps us to discern those things and make wise, godly decisions. The author of Hebrews, of course, in Hebrews 5.14, says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's a work of God, to be clear, and I said that. But are we willing to take that first step and position ourselves for God to work in our hearts? And do those closest to us recognize the fruit that's coming from our lives? Why? Because of the work that Jesus is doing in us. And it doesn't say occasional use. It doesn't say infrequent use, sporadic use. It says constant use. Every day. You wake up with breath in your lungs and you have a choice. Will you praise God? Will you thank him? Or will you grumble? Will you complain? Will you allow the people and the circumstances and the worry in your heart and mind to steal your joy? As you grow spiritually pursuing Christ and his heart, he gives you great joy despite your circumstances. Now, this this experience of spiritual growth that I know you've experienced. It's oftentimes uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> it's exhilarating and it's exciting, but it's oftentimes uncomfortable. It, 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 is, it is you're being worked on, you're being challenged. It's, it's hard, it's difficult. Sometimes it's even scary. And some of you are like, I thought this was a sermon on joy and all of a sudden this took a really weird turn. John is not being joyful. He's talking about the hard, challenging, difficult, scary work of growing spiritually. <laughs> What greater joy is there than submitting your broken life into the hands of Almighty God? The one who formed you and created you and who will turn you into a masterpiece. What greater joy is there than to say, this might hurt a little, God, as you chisel away the things that don't belong in my life. This might be uncomfortable as you contort and conform me. But what greater joy is there to be in the hands of the living God? Thank God, any fruit in my life, any growth in my life is just because of you and your goodness and your grace poured out to me, a sinner. There is no greater joy than submitting yourself into the hands of Almighty God. And he will grow you spiritually. He will work in your life and in your heart. He will make you stronger. He will make you more mature. You will have greater discernment. You will bear more fruit. You will abound in love. You will be, as Paul says here, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. So Paul goes on then to say in verse 10 that he's praying for these believers that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so I want to issue just a word of clarification and caution here. That as we talk about joy, and as we pursue a life of joy, and even choose joy, as that opening video showed, that we're not talking about worldly pleasures. We're talking about kingdom joy. We're talking about fruitfulness that comes from Christ. So we're not talking about the things the world offers that says are going to make you happy. There's a big difference between happiness and joy, by the way. I don't have time. I don't have time for that rant. <laughs> But there's a big difference between happiness and the world. I'm not talking about the pleasures of the world and what the, the world says will bring you joy. No. We are the bride of Christ. 
That is what brings us great joy. We are set apart for the Lord Jesus, who, according to Ephesians 5, loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What great joy we have when we say we are the bride of Christ and he is doing a work in us. He is transforming my life. He is shaping and molding me to be even more like his son, Jesus. You want to grow in your joy? You want to increase your joy? Grow spiritually. Seek the heart of Jesus. So choose to live in pursuit of God's heart and God's way. But there's a problem with this pursuit of godliness. And that problem is sin. Because I'm not going to amp us all up and pat us all on the back and then send us out of here. Do better for Jesus. Make choices that are better. Be a better person. There's a huge problem there. And that problem is the little three-letter word of sin. You see, you and I are all bent toward it. So we talked about you want to increase your joy, you serve others. Well, our bent is towards self. I want others to serve me. I don't want to serve others. And so we've got a huge problem. We are marred by the effects of sin. And so this means, according to Scripture, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags to a holy God. What it means is, unless we are washed clean and made new, we can never be in God's presence. We can never commune with God in relationship. There's only one way for that to happen. There's only one way for us to be pure and holy, as he writes here in Philippians 1, through the shed blood of Jesus. There's only one way. It's through the the shed blood of Jesus, who was that sacrificial lamb. He willingly laid down his life. He took the punishment for our sins and imparted to us his righteousness. This is kind of this divine exchange that took place on the cross. The sinless one took the wrath of God and then offers mercy to anyone who would call on his name. Think about it. The Lord Jesus, even from the cross... That barbaric instrument of torture and death said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I urge you today, I implore you to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it'll be the first time today. Maybe it's a renewed commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ saying, God, I trust you. And I confess that things and people and circumstances have stolen my joy. But Christ, you are the reason for my joy. So even if I'm in chains, even if I'm persecuted, I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to be joyful because of Christ who is in me. That same Christ who was by the power of God raised back to life on the third day. After he went to the cross laying down his life. And he lives forevermore. And then in God's great master plan of salvation, Jesus is coming back. One day he will return and he will welcome into his kingdom all who have confessed their sin and asked Christ to wash them clean. So yes, as we study Philippians 1, we can affirm the truth here that Christ will make us pure and blameless. But it's only a work of Christ. It's not you and your good deeds. Those are like filthy rags. Christ is going to give you contagious joy because the glory goes to God. 
Let me issue a few action steps for us today. This is a, this is a lot of theology. This is a lot of ideas and thoughts. And I want to really kind of bring it down to road level, concrete level. What are some action steps flowing from the truth of Philippians 1? Number one, cultivate healthy relationships. Like choose like-minded believers. There are many of whom right here in the room with you, by the way. Choose like-minded believers that you can do life with. And so for many of us, for most of us, the way we've structured our church family here, that's through a core group. That's through saying, I want to do life with this smaller group of believers. And so those are smaller groups where we sit in circles, not rows. Circles are better than rows, by the way. Well, we need both. But cultivate healthy relationships and invest in those lives of others. Share your heart with them and seek to know their struggles and issues that you might bear their burdens along with them. So action step number one is cultivate healthy relationships. Number two is find out where the Lord is calling you to serve and do it enthusiastically. Do it joyfully. Each and every one of us has a role in the ministry here at MCA. Those who are part of this church family, this is your spiritual home. It's not just John does the ministry and we all come and watch. I have a role, but you also have a role. You have a ministry. And I think in any given week, Christ wants to use you to serve in that ministry. And so seek after the heart of God to say, how do you want me to serve? And then do so enthusiastically. Do it every single week. Third action step is develop habits of prayer. I'm calling you to set aside time each and every day. Write it in your planner. Put it in your phone with a reminder to take a few, at least a few minutes. Quiet your heart and seek the face of God. You will find yourself growing spiritually. You will find your faith strengthened. Also, use that time to intercede for others, as we've already talked about, that praying with and for others is a great way to partner together and support your friends. But, but let's continue to grow as a people of prayer. God is stirring up a prayer movement at MCA that I'm so excited about. Join in with us and be a person who's cultivating habits of prayer in your life and in your family. The fourth action step is to study the scriptures. To, to become a student of the Bible. Make it a priority. Spend time each day getting into the Word of God and studying the Word of God and writing out maybe a verse that you want to memorize on a note card and put that in a place where you're going to see it regularly. Meditate on God's Word day and night. And I'll just say that it grieves my heart so much when I see believers who seem to be shaped so much more by the world than by the Word. We cannot be shaped by the world. We must be shaped by the word of God. And what that means is you're in the word of God more than just Sundays and hearing a sermon. It means take time each and every day to open the scriptures, to study the word. Sing it. Pray it. Read it. Read it out loud. Discuss it. Ask questions of it. At MCA, we are committed to the word of God. <laughs> to proclaiming it, to studying it, to understanding it, to applying it to our lives. We are so committed to the Word of God. By the way, if you missed this, earlier this year, we read through the entire Bible in four days without stopping. The entire Bible, front to back, Genesis to Revelation. And it was wonderful. 
So let's continue to be students of Scripture. Another action step that applies to some of you is to get baptized. If that's not a step that you've taken in your spiritual walk, and you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus, then consider what the Scriptures say, calling you to make your faith public and to take that step of obedience, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to enter the waters of baptism. And so consider that and take that step in your spiritual journey to the glory of God. So as we close our time together this morning and really kind of launch into over these next weeks of studying the book of Philippians, I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to encourage you to embrace the life that God has given you. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm warning against saying, like, this is not just a Pollyanna sermon that says you should be happy. No. Embrace the life that God has given you. For some of you, that's cancer. That's not Pollyanna. But will you have joy? For some of you, that's physical ailment. For some of you, that's relationship struggles. For some of you, it's walking through seasons where you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Will you have joy? Well, if the source of your joy is Christ, then we all know the answer. And he can't be taken from you. So don't allow those joy stealers to take priority in your life. I think too often we compare ourselves with others. We look at the guy next to us. We look at the gal across the hall. And so then we're dissatisfied with what God has given us. And then we're on that kind of endless and fruitless search for what we think is going to bring us joy. What the world says is going to make us happy. True joy is serving and following Jesus. True joy is being washed clean by the blood of that sacrificial lamb. And even though you're broken and flawed, and even though you have struggles and challenges, saying, I'm you, I might be a mess, God, but I'm your mess. True joy is only in Christ. And that's contagious. That's going to impact your family and friends and co-workers and classmates and teammates. Paul was beaten. Do, do a study of his life, please. <laughs> the times where he received the 39 lashes. 40 was the point of death. Okay, if you get hit the 40th time, this was the, their culture and their understanding. The 40th lash, you're going to die. So they would take him to 39. How many times did that happen to him? Over and over and over, this happened. Let's take this guy to 39 lashes. You are on the brink of death. He was thrown in prison. He was in, in, uh, locked in chains. You think hardship or suffering or persecution is going to quiet a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, think again. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. It's in those places where Christians face the most persecution that the church rises up stronger than ever. Why? Their confidence soars because they are trusting completely on Christ and he's coming through. <laughs> we see anointing falling in those places. We see them sharing Jesus, growing stronger, boldly proclaiming the gospel, even in places where they're persecuted for their faith. So when I say this message of Philippians is for today, this warning that Paul issues saying, hey, hey, be careful that you don't lose your joy. Speaking right into our context where we're comfortable and we're complacent. Be warned. 
that you don't lose your joy. We'll learn and study later on in this book that Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. (laughs) And so we're going to go on living boldly. And that's going to mean fruitfulness and bring glory to God. So MCA, I am praying that we'd operate with that same tenacity as the persecuted church. The same determination, that same pursuit of Christ, abandon of self. That the Lord would indeed make us a vibrant community of transformed people committed to sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. The prayer of Paul in verse 9, and this is my prayer. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Oh God of mercy and God of grace, we need you and we confess to you that for so long we've relied on our own goodness and our acts of righteousness, that we want a semblance of, of piety and holiness and righteousness. And yet, Lord, we admit freely this morning that we're a people broken and flawed in desperate need of the washing by your blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you see us in our need and you've drawn near to us and you've made a way as we put our trust in you. And so we do that today, oh great God. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with those difficult people We trust you with the circumstances that are staring us in the face. And worry is crouching at our door. Thank you, Jesus, that you give a peace that passes understanding. I pray that we would know that today and that we would live it out in all the places we go. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.